0: And I pray that Jesus has broadcast the gospel in your own heart. When you get a touch of this love of God, that though knowing your secrets, knowing your sin, realizing that he loves your imperfect soul, comes into your very spirit, changes you forever. And it is inconceivable to think that a person touched this way will not and cannot and does not broadcast to someone else what Jesus has done. We are continuing our study in John 9 of a man who broadcasts the gospel, though he doesn't even know exactly what he's talking about. And as he is broadcasting the gospel, he learns as he goes. And it started with Jesus, of course, where Jesus, seeing his need, a man born blind from birth comes in and through the working of mud and his own spittle and his directions touches the man in such a way that he has a physical healing that creates a quite a stir in fact it it takes all of the chapter john 9 verse 41 verses that comments implications of god touching this man and in this passage jesus uses it to teach us what does it mean to be blind in our heart and see with our heart. And I find that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5 is a wonderful parallel. I encourage you to study 2 Corinthians, uh, really verses 3 through 5, on your own as we go through this study. Uh, the Lord just kind of orchestrated events for me to do that. And now that I've done it, I would just heartily recommend it to anybody as we're reading this together in John chapter 9, Uh, and you'll just see some powerful parallels in helping us understand what the Holy Spirit is doing in our heart now as we look in John chapter 9. Now, last week, I I really didn't get to finish my sermon, and uh, we just really settled on the first point, and I'm going to continue on with what we learned in John chapter 9, Uh, but we're going to focus, if we have the time, uh, especially verses uh, 13 through 34. And so we've read earlier uh, the verses 1 through 12. And so in, as we study this together, let's read, especially verse 13 through 34, and let's stand as we read John chapter 9 together. You read silently as we read aloud. <clears throat> they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day. When Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, Well, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now i see they said to him what did he do to you how did he open your eyes he answered them i have told you already and you would not listen why do you want to hear it again do you also want to become his disciples and they revived him saying you are his disciple but we are disciples of moses we know that god has spoken to moses but as for this man we do not know where he comes from the man answered why this is an amazing thing You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you are born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. You may be seated. As we've read this, there's been several uh, points that I've I've brought to you. Uh, First, I've I've shared with you that we broadcast the gospel to show God's power over our disability. That instead of being daunted by a man born by blind and, and entering in some controversy as to why this man is born blind, is it because of sin, his sin, or his parents' sin? Jesus said, it's not the reason why that I want to focus on, but for the purpose from which it's given, the result. And he focused on the result that this is opportunity, this is a platform for God's work and power to be displayed. And I would just want to share with you that all that we go through, the good and the bad, is a platform for God's power to be displayed, for his gospel to present presented. It. it's amazing how it changes things when you view all of your life as a platform to share the gospel, the good and the bad. And so we broadcast the gospel to show God's power over our disability. This man was born blind, but all of us have different degrees of disability that God uses not what not just in spite of but uses through the disabilities and that god when we give these disabilities to god's hands now god can do incredible powerful things then we learn that we broadcast the gospel because opportunity is limited jesus is saying you know there's just a little bit of time while i'm here where we're going to do these works and there's going to be a time when i won't be here and i would say that was certainly true of jesus day but is true of us still that this is a limited amount of time that this that we have to share the gospel of jesus christ to let the holy spirit work through us that when we are no longer here the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of jesus christ to those who do not know has come to an end It is one of the unique things that we've got we'll sing in heaven we will worship in heaven we will work with our lord in heaven Uh, I won't be proclaiming and preaching and teaching like I'm doing now. There'll be new things that I'm doing. But there's one thing I can do here that I cannot do in heaven that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to those who do not know. And so it's limited. And then we broadcast the gospel because Christ is the antidote to a blind world. Jesus puts this analogy that if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you do not know the power of Christ, then you are blind. In this world. And so it's not there's some degrees of sight. This person kind of sees. No he says if you do not know Christ as your savior. You are totally blind. And that is the, the condition of all the world. And so it is imperative that all the world hears about Christ. Because it's the solution to a blind heart. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4 goes on to describe. That we have a veil over our heart that keeps us from seeing the glory of god and that jesus is the one who can lift the veil when we turn to jesus and so it is important to understand that everyone around us that until the spirit comes and speaks to our heart and tells us who christ is we don't get it we don't get god we don't get the gospel we don't get our need we don't get the gospel the mercy and and grace of jesus christ we don't get death and life we don't understand a lot of this the purposes here and so that's the important thing of sharing the good news of jesus christ praying for people because it's through this method that god can open up our hearts to sing what we have just seen to open my eyes lord that i may see who jesus is now last week we said that god uses the common to broadcast the gospel we saw this in verse six how Jesus used this kind of, well, interesting method of getting dirt, spitting in dirt, making mud out of it, and putting it on the eyes. And the question we all come to is, why? <laughs> why did you do that? Why didn't you just proclaim it with the word? He did. He's done miracles like that, uh, where he, he's done different methods. And the point that we brought out is that the methods don't really matter. And all our methods that we use today in church life don't really matter if the power of God is not in them, okay? And that's one of the things that we learn from this, is the importance of God's virtue being in the things that we do, in the means that we use. But we also saw that as a side effect, we don't know if it's the reason why Jesus did it, but as a side effect, a huge controversy started. Because the Pharisaical law and and trying to be separate holy people Was to make sure that we don't work on the Sabbath. And part of that not working is we don't need. We don't need dough. We don't need mud. We don't do things like that. Because that puts us as the common folks. Those who don't know God. And so here Jesus is coming and kneading mud together. And then using it to heal someone. And it creates this, this controversy. That's amazing. That flows out of this. And they react out of this Sabbath breaking. So... That's in effect that we're going to spend a little bit more time on that. And so then he says, I anoint him with eyes with the And Then verse seven, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, John kind of gives a little bit of elaboration. He says that this means sent. All right. Now, a little context in Jerusalem at this time is the Feast of Tabernacles. All right. And so this is a big deal. A lot of people there. And the pool of Siloam has a, a, an important thing feature in this uh celebration and that that the Jews would often bring pails out of this uh pool and use it in the uh worship uh, or celebration and offer out these these pails of water to say that God we count on God and we pray for God to give us the 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 rain needed for our harvest. And the the pool itself came from a springs of Gehan and it came through a tunnel to this special pool. And so it had this, this meaning of sit, sit from the springs brought here but i think john kind of says consider this name and notice how it's similar to jesus christ and that he is the the sent one john 7 in the same feast he said out of me springs water from me and if you will come to me those same waters springs will come up out of you of life and so jesus takes on this analogy of i am the water of life and this pool is a special feature in this Jewish holiday. And, he, and so there's a little bit of emphasis on the name, the Pool of Siloam. So going on, we see in, in the following verse 7, So he went and washed and came back seeing. I just want to take note. God uses obedience to broadcast the gospel. Here is a man blind from birth. And he's sitting there outside the temple, in the, probably in the southern area. Uh, Of the temple. And so he's walking to the pool of Siloam, which is a little ways away. This is not just a simple endeavor for you and I. This is a blind man. So either he's walking there out of just familiar paths or he's got someone there with him. Nonetheless, for whatever reason, all he knows is this man named Jesus tells him, puts mud on his face, so he kind of wants to wash his face. All right? And so he might as well just follow Jesus. And so he obeys and he comes back seeing. In this case, Jesus used the healing on the condition of obedience, all right? He could have just healed him, but he says, I want you to see, will you trust me enough? Will you obey in what I ask you to do? And he put this healing moment after he obeyed. And I just want you to understand that when you obey Jesus Christ in your everyday life, it is amazing how God will put in front of you doors to share the gospel he will open up opportunities for you that will follow in the course of a day that is obedient to Jesus Christ. And you just need to take note of it. That is an important thing. That if you think, I want to be used by God, I want to matter for eternity, but you don't obey God, don't think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. Okay? Don't, Don't be disappointed when there's not a lot of opportunities when you don't obey the one who saved you. Now, um, I remember When I was in high school And, and I, was, um, I was asked to pray And I think I shared this some time ago I was asked to pray for one of our graduation exercises um, I had prayed early I had, just, I had not been a believer all that long But I prayed God help me to witness to my class Help me to proclaim the gospel to my class And I sought different opportunities With relationships along the way But at the end of my year I had asked to, to pray uh, at our special service, and, and um, I was excited about that, and I shared planned what I was going to pray. But then a little bit before that, I had gotten a warning from the school authorities: don't pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't 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 make any kind of reference outside of of God. And I had asked, "Is it okay? Could I, can I say God?" <laughs> Uh, yeah okay that's fine they thought about it but then that's fine and so as I spent the next couple of days thinking about this I, I I had trouble with that I thought you know how is it I'm able to pray anyway without using the name of Jesus I know I don't have to use the name of Jesus but it was this this message sent to me that Asked me to reflect my relationship with God in front of everyone, but do so void of Jesus Christ. And I thought, this is just not who I am. This is not faith. This is not what I have. And so there's this tension point, and there's this question of of what should I do? And I felt like it was an issue of obedience. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I'm just going to say God uses obedience, He uses obedience. To broadcast the gospel. But notice verse eight, as we keep on reading, uh, we see these dialogues that take place. One with the neighbors, then with the the Pharisees, then with the the parents, and then back with the blind person and the Pharisees, and and, and then the last one was with Jesus. But the the first one with the neighbors. The neighbors and those had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. But he kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And the answer the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. I'm just going to share with you, God uses transformed lives to broadcast the gospel. I mean, that was the main point here. Here this man was, once obviously a, a, a blind man, a beggar, and now his life's changed. And, and they, they're trying to compute with that. I'm going to share with you that when people see you, your, your ability to witness is so much more than mine. Because... They see me and think, well, he's a pastor. He's supposed to talk like that. I mean, he's supposed to live like that. I mean, he's, he's different. But when you start sharing what God has done in your life, people can identify with you. This, this is the one that works with me. I know what this person is like. I know their tendencies. And now they have this new passion in their life. They have this new love in their life. God's doing something different. And when they go through something like a Bernard's going through, and, and, they, and they, they have a peace about that, and to even a joy in the midst of that, they know how they would be. I'm just going to share that God uses those points of difference as contact points and can use it to broadcast the gospel. I've shared with you last week, the man didn't know a lot. All he said is, this man called Jesus. I don't know. He, he called this and he told me this and, and that's all I know. But I share with you, he, he did not let what he did not know ruin what he did know. There's so many times we get caught up and say, what if he asked me this question? I don't know how to answer that question. I don't, I don't know this and this. I don't, know, I don't know all the things like the pastor knows. I don't know all the things like my son's school teacher knows. But what do you know? Don't let what you don't know ruin what you do know. Share. God's called you to share not what you don't know, but God's called you to share what you do. And so that's what this man does. He shares all that's happened. Now, um, how do you get transformed? You think, well, that's good, Pastor, but man, you know, how do I get transformed? There's a couple passages I want to bring to your attention. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, It says, uh, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Has something to do with how you think, how you think. And we often bring this to your attention and say, well, we need to read the Bible. And I would say, yes, we need to read the Bible because it reveals God, it reveals his ways, his promises, his nature. Uh, Jesus affirmed it. He memorized it, he know it, knew it, and obeyed it, he fulfilled it. So yes, read the Bible. But it's in reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that it's not just reading the Bible in general, but reading the Bible with a specific purpose. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says, first verse 17, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we need the role of the Holy Spirit as we read the Bible. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so when I read this passage, it tells me that I'm being transformed as I continue to look and gaze, beholding the glory of the Lord, specifically the glory of Jesus Christ. What makes Jesus unique? the special power, the beauty, the nature of Jesus Christ, to be caught up in him and who he is, to have my heart stolen for him. Okay, And so when I read the Bible, it's not just to to read it and to look at it grammatically and everything, but to read it with the intent to say, God, help me to see who you are. Help me to see the glory of Jesus Christ, how your nature works in this world, works in my life. Let me Be sought or seek after that. Now, do you pray that? Or do you read the Bible with that thought of mind? When we read it with the thought of mind, God, help me to see how beautiful, how powerful, how extremely other you are compared to everything else I know. Let me see the rarity of who you are. When we pray that, when we think that, it's like shining light into our heart. And as we continue to consider this, notice what it says. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, you become not what you eat, but you become what you are gazing at. You become what you're looking toward. You become what you're hoping in. You become what you set your heart upon. And so when you set your heart upon the glory of God, it has a transforming power in us. This is why we need to be on guard on what our heart is affectionate toward. You know, as we read this, sometimes we get like the Pharisees and say, well, this is the list of what you do and do not do. And it usually involves a logical step away from the command of Scripture. Like the Sabbath, they're saying, well, you know, make sure you don't need any mud or dough. And when they see it, they freak out and say, this guy's a sinner. But they made a logical step away from Scripture. Well, I don't want to give you steps and and code of saying this is a sinner and this is not. But I think it might be more important for us to say, God, help me to be engaged in activities that help me to seek you. Help me to have affection for you. And some of the, the things that we get caught up in TV shows has a deadening effect in our life. It's not good or bad, it's just amoral, or it could be just an interesting storyline, but it stills our affection away from Jesus Christ. And I think that's probably the guide we need to be looking at, is what is it that helps me to behold the glory of God, and what robs me away from that, okay? Because more than anything, I want you to be transformed. I want you to be transformed in the glory of God. Because what's the point of doing all this if we're not becoming Christ-like? So we, we use these, God uses these transformed lives like this man to broadcast the gospel. Now, interesting, what this man knows, simply the man called Jesus, as we trace his story, it's interesting how his answers about Jesus change. You may not know much, but here's the wonderful thing, here's the promises we have, that when we know by faith, it has a multiplying effect. You know one thing by faith? If you continue by faith, that one thing will grow into two things. And that two things will grow into four things. If you know by faith, it will multiply in your life. I, I think about Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's the, it's the verse by which uh, Hannah was singing today. when It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, when you learn and live by faith, it grows and multiplies in your life. So though this man just knows one thing by faith, this man called Jesus gave me sight. We're going to watch how it grows in this discussion. Now, he says in verse 11, he said, go do this. He anointed my eyes. And so I went and watched and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. He doesn't even know where he's at. So let me just take you to the the next thing that I want you to learn, is that God can use controversy. God can use controversy to broadcast the gospel. We're about to see a controversy break out, all right? Whatever you want to call it, argument, an issue. Uh, We like to avoid issues. We like to avoid drama. We like to avoid uh, controversies. But I'm just going to share with you, in this story, God used it. God used it to broadcast the gospel. So when you're in the midst of a controversy, scandal, or whatever it may be, just remember, God can still use it and will use it when you surrender it to him. And so in controversy, why, now why is that the case? Well, first of all, as we read verse 13, in controversy, hearts are revealed. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born formerly blind, now it was a Sabbath day, and just note that. John says, remember that, it's the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and see. So the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. And notice how his Answers are changing. He's not just a man called Jesus. He's now a prophet. But the controversy reveals the hearts of the Pharisees. Jesus had said earlier in John 8 that those who do not see the light do not see the light because they do not want to see the light. They are blind. And so now they're asking him about witnesses in his life. And Jesus said, if if you don't have witnesses, just consider the signs that I do. How do they point to me? And so here's a sign for him. And instead of just receiving the sign for a a testimony of the power of God, they're looking at it and says, how can we interpret what happened in a way that makes him a sinner and not of God? They, have, they already have an idea about it. They have already decided this man cannot be from God. He's a sinner because he needed dough. He broke our law concerning the Sabbath. All right? And so the, the, the mind's made up. And so the controversy just reveals the heart Of the Pharisees that are there, they're saying, we don't want Jesus to be God. The blind man, formerly blind man, sees it. Jesus already knows it. And so in times of controversy, I want you to consider, how is my heart being revealed? How are hearts around you being revealed? There's something to note in that time. Now, just in a way of, of argument for the Pharisees, Deuteronomy 13 says, Be careful when people do signs. Make sure that in those signs, they are conforming to the word of God. Because if they do these signs and take away from the word of God, mark them as a false prophet. That's important to note. Because not every supernatural activity you see is of God. Alright? And so they're taking that same tact. Well, you know, how do we know? Well, we can see this disobedient act here. But they never looked at the source or the authority of what he's disobeying. So, If we keep on reading, we'll see that the Pharisees aren't happy with the answer they're getting from the blind man. Well, maybe we can discredit this blind man. Surely he's not all that he says he is. And so let's bring in the parents. Verse 18. The parents come in, and they have a little interrogation. The Jews did not believe they'd been blind and received a sight, until they called the parents of the man who received the sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So the parents have an easy question yes we know that this is our son and we know that he's born blind there's no controversy about that it it just is verse 21 but how he now sees we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes ask him don't talk to us we don't know he's old enough ask him he's evidently older than 12 uh, which is whether 13 was the age of being a man um he would speak for himself. But notice verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. for The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said he is of age. Ask him. And controversy, fears are exposed. There's some fear that's motivating here. And, and here it's just blatantly given to us. The parents feared the men now you think well to be kicked out of synagogue what's the big deal about that it's not quite the same as being kicked out of church here all right that's bad you don't want to be kicked out of a church but chances are in america you get kicked out of church that's fine i go to some other church and uh they'll they'll receive me by testimony of my faith no big deal well and in other places around the world where you don't have so many options, it's a big deal. And in this day and time, it's a big deal for the, for the Jews. Because to be kicked out of the synagogue was to be kicked out of the Jewish way of life. Their society, their support, everything is to be kicked out. I mean, that's getting kicked out of your health insurance, uh, your retirement, and everything else. To be kicked out. So they have a fear of losing something. We, uh, we were at work in this past week and uh, looking at uh, put out this new podcast, just kind of a, a shorter um, uh, discussion that we put online and, and, and talking about even some of what I may be discussing on Sundays or issues in our church, and, and we, we were talking about the Courageous movie that uh, we shared last Sunday, and we are just talking about the idea of courage. What does it mean to have courage? And... Uh, I thought about it, and and it's often said it's not the absence of fear. You're afraid of something because you might lose something valuable to you. That's still there. You don't want to lose that valuable thing. But in courage, there's a, a value that rises up over what you're afraid of losing. Okay, And being courageous is just being consistent with what you place as the highest value possible so you will lose security, home, family even your life because you deem something as more important as those things so here in this controversy fears are being revealed and the parents are revealing hey, you know what? I don't know who this Jesus character is. I'm not I'm not putting my Livelihood, my society at stake. And so they just say, you know, Go ask him. They just, they plead the fifth. Let's, let's just go with that. And so I want to just take you to Luke chapter 12 here, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more than they can do. But I warn you whom to fear fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are more valued than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before man, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before man will be denied... Before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man. Will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit. Will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues. And the rulers and the authorities. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself. Or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you. In that very hour. What you ought to say. Here Jesus is saying. Is that the gospel. And who who I am. Is of more value than even your very life. Even your very life. Be consistent with that. Why is it so dangerous to have your affections stolen? Because if your affections for Jesus Christ is stolen, then you are susceptible to anybody that wants to silence you. you know what persecution's point is? The point of persecution is to silence your witness. You go to Saudi Arabia, and you don't see much active persecution. Why? Because the voices are already already silent. There's not much that needs to be done. All they have to do is just throw a threat out there. I consider that. And then I look at at my life in America. And I think, when I choose not to speak up for what Jesus Christ has done for me, then I am submitting and succumbing to the little forces of persecution here. There are things ten thousands of voices you will hear in your life that says, don't say a word about Jesus. Speak for God maybe, speak for your church, fine, but don't speak for Jesus Christ. And I often wonder, what would I do if I was in some closed country? The answer is given when I don't speak up in an open country, when I don't share the gospel. When I don't broadcast what God is doing in my life. And so when I read passages like Luke 12. It's it's, it's not the absence of fear. It's that we don't have enough fear. We don't fear God enough. We don't uphold the glory of God. We're not beholding who he is. And we just see God as a hobby in our life. We see Jesus as just a a, a life enhancement. And we come to Christ. We come to church because it makes my life better. But the moment that it makes it worse then forget about that. I will not speak up because it's not serving my purposes anymore. Courageous is to be able to lift up and say that Jesus Christ is of greater value than even my property, my family, my health, my job. And I'm just going to share with you the church that has these things is so much more susceptible to persecution when we identify the church as a building and as property, it's so much more vulnerable to persecution. That's not our identity. Identity is found in what Christ is doing in us and through us. When I was there in 1992 in high school, I I made a decision, come what may, I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ. I look back and I don't know if it's the right thing or wrong thing, but I knew that I was acting upon what I felt like the Spirit was convicting me to do. And I just, in my prayer, thank God for Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me and made it so I can pray today. And I had some folks, some teachers, who greatly disdained what I did. And lashed me. With their tongues. But I graduated and I figured okay. But it was just kind of the first of many. The first of many questions. That we all face. Will you hide what Jesus Christ is doing? Or will you realize that who Jesus is. And what he's doing for you and in you. Is so much important that whatever is at stake. Be consistent with what God's called you to be. So in controversy, fears are exposed. But when you take these fears and say, God, I realize I'm afraid I might lose this. I might lose my reputation. People might think I'm silly. They might call me a bigot. I might be just undermined. And I'm afraid of that. You take that fear and you ask yourself, is that fear greater than then Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And when you have a heart that's set toward the glory of Jesus Christ, it quickly goes in comparison. But when our heart is robbed of the affection for Jesus Christ, affection for his glory, then all we hear is the, the voices telling us to be silent. That's why I go to moments like this and in your life, fill it with times where you're constantly refreshed with who Christ is. But I want to share with you encouraging thing in controversy faith can grow and as i've asked you to pay attention to how the man responds we see verse 17 he's going from a man called jesus to well you know now that we're thinking about it you're asking me these questions of who this was that healed me well i gotta say he's a prophet that was a big statement that was the highest thing he could think of of someone coming from god they hadn't had a prophet for 400 years all right so he's making a big statement so don't Sell him short. He says, well, you know, he's, yeah, he's wrong on that one. But that's all he knows. But it's growing as questions come to him. We keep on reading and follow this. We see in verse 24 and 25, he, they say, you know, the second time they call him to him and they say, give glory to God. This is a way of saying, do the Jewish oath. We know that this man is a sinner. Isn't that interesting? Give glory to God and call Jesus a sinner. That's what they're asking him to do. And then there's his response. Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And and so these questions are refining his thoughts, and his faith is growing in the midst of this as he's being challenged. I'm going to share with you. When we say, I don't want to bring up Jesus Christ, because they might ask me a question I do not know. They might challenge my faith. I'm going to tell you, that outside the word of God, and and the grace of God working through that, The single most influential thing to help me grow in my faith are people asking me challenging questions. And so when I say I don't want to bring up Jesus because they might ask me a question I do not know, or they might challenge my faith, I am robbing myself of that which God uses to help me to grow. People ask me, how do you know the stuff you know? I said, well, people have asked me that before i can have a good thoughtful question someone gives to me and it'll sit me floating for two weeks thinking about that question and considering the word of god and who god is i've had some of my greatest thoughts coming from people asking me questions and i said i don't know let me think about that in times of controversy when you're challenged You've got the Spirit of God in you, and the Word of God is there, and it takes those challenges and it rises to the occasion. As we see this man doing, he says, I don't know if he's a sinner, but one thing I do know I used to be blind, but now I see. Deal with that. What do you say? And this is forcing him to think on this. And controversy, faith can grow. And they said to him, What did he do you need to do? How do you open your eyes? And you get this, the humor of this guy's guy, the sarcasm. I've already told you. He wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You want to become his disciple? And is the reaction. They get the sarcasm. They reviled him, saying, You're his disciple. We're the disciples of Moses. It's like, No, 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 It's kind of like, Really? You're going there. And they reviled him, saying this. And, and we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered. Notice verse 30. It's just crescendoing. Why? That's an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. These Pharisees represent the religious establishment. If he ever had a question about the law, he would go to them. And now they are admitting they don't know. And he saying, say, what? You're the one who's supposed to speak for God and you don't know? Yet he's opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind... This man were not from God. He couldn't do nothing. He says, I don't know a lot about this man, but I know I once was blind. Now I can see. God hears him, and God's power is working through him. And if he was not with God, he could do nothing. He's just growing in his faith as the challenges come and the persecution comes. Listen, what is within you, the Spirit of God, is greater than that which is in the world. And when you step and allow yourselves in obedience to God to be placed in times of controversy the spirit of god uses the word to rise to the occasion Lord jesus don't worry about what you're going to say when people ask you these things the spirit of god is going to give you what to say and so verse 34 they answered him you were born in utter sin and would you teach us and they cast him out that's kind of like saying you are born a bigot, weren't you? You're just narrow-minded. You're just, you know, when you come to greater realization like we have come, then you'll see things differently. Have you ever caught that tone? This man's feeling it. And they said, you're no longer welcome in synagogue life. You're no longer A good Jew. Jesus responds. We'll look at that next week. I just want to ask you do you worship Jesus? Do you look in his glory? Consider how great he is? You find your worship of Jesus, your faith, deepen or weaken in the midst of threat, danger, persecution? challenge how about when those you love when they fa- their faith falters, like this man experienced when your family's fearful or when they don't believe and they don't believe like you believe what do you do then you confess him openly do you defend him with your simple testimony you can say ah, i was blind once but god has done a wonder in my heart through jesus christ and i see things differently than how i used to that is broadcasting the gospel are you tuned in to the glory of jesus and are your speakers up loud so others can hear when you look life like like that Surgeries may come, job loss may come, personal or peer pressure may come, legal issues may come, even physical harm may come, but come what may, put it in the hands of Jesus and watch what he can do. Whether you live or die, do all to the glory of God. Let's pray.